Well, take your Bibles and turn this morning with me to Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. And I want to begin this morning by looking at this familiar verse. And as I told you that, um, Lord willing, in a couple of weeks, we're going to be launching into the book of 1 Peter. Uh, the final batch of commentaries arrived at my house on Friday. I was excited to open that box and take them out and touch them and hold them. And I know I'm a geek when it comes to books, you know, and just kind of smell them a little bit and uh, just kind of set them up in my shelf where uh, my little arsenal, my little First Peter arsenal, I've been building an arsenal, uh, First and Second Peter Jude commentaries, and uh, super excited about diving into that book as I've been reading through it just getting my mind around it, my heart into it. Um, It is the perfect book for us right now where we're at in our world as Christians. Um, Never before, I think, at least in my life, have I ever felt more like an alien and stranger than now. And, uh, and, And the need to stand firm in the midst of all the chaos that's around us, the cancel culture and all that. Um, Man, that's where the people that Peter was writing to were at back in the first century. Um, and so looking forward to seeing how the Lord's going to use that book to minister to us as a church. And so, but in the meantime, again, I told you there was a couple things, some things on my heart that I wanted to share with you by way of vision, by way of big picture. Um, if you don't like those words, how about this? Practical ecclesiology. You know what ecclesiology is? It's right, the the doctrine of the church. And uh, last week was some of that, shepherdology, right? Uh, Just what does the Bible talk about when it it talks about shepherds and sheep and the way God views us as his his flock and how we should view our role as pastors and how you should view your role as members of a church. And and so I want to do some more of that this morning and share with you some exciting developments in the life of our church. And so we really don't have another context to do that other than to call some kind of uh, all-church meeting after church, but then half of you would go to lunch and never hear it. So I'm kind of uh, uh, you know, stuck with this little slot on Sunday morning to kind of share some things that might sound more like an annual meeting, um, but uh, we need to talk about them because they're exciting and you need to know so you can be praying, you can get involved uh, in what the Lord is doing at our church. But Proverbs 29, 18, really just a starting point for us this morning, a verse that I'm sure you're familiar with. Um, and I imagine you're also familiar with the fact that this is one of those verses that's often misinterpreted and misapplied. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 9, or 29, verse 18. Um, you've probably heard the first half of it maybe most well-known in the King James. The King James reads, where there's no vision, the people perish. Are you familiar with that verse? Where there's no vision, the people perish. And, and this verse is often quoted by Christian leaders and embraced by uh, their followers as a biblical basis for the importance of casting vision and pursuing a vision. And without a clear vision, a church will perish, it won't flourish. But listen to how the NASB translates this verse. Where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. 
Some of you may have the New International Version. It says it even more specifically. Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. The Holman Christian Standard Bible, which is a good translation, said it this way, without revelation, people run wild. That sounds a whole lot different as where there's no vision, the people perish, right? I think it's getting down to what really is the, the author here was, was wanting to communicate in the Hebrew language because in the Old Testament, God's word was brought to the people by the prophets who received revelation through visions. At least that was one way. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1 says this, Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord before Eli, and the word from the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were infrequent. Amos chapter 8, verse 11, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine for bread or a thirst for water, but rather for hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and from the north even to the east and they will go to and fro to seek the word of the Lord but they will not find it. Those must have been scary times when God was silent. He was not providing any revelation to his people. And so simply put, I think the point of this verse is this, that we cannot survive without the Word of God, where there's no revelation, we perish, we, we run amok, if you will. But I think there's more to this verse, and there's a second half, there's a but there. Notice how I think the second half clarifies the first half, where there's no vision, the people are unrestrained, but happy is he who keeps the law. So the but is a contrast there, and it's contrasting those who either don't have God's word, or they have it but ignore it, with those who hear the word of God, they have the word of God, they hear it and they heed it. In other words, whenever or wherever the word of God is not preached or not applied, people will live sinful lives. But whenever and wherever the word of God is proclaimed and obeyed, people will live joy-filled, blessed lives. They'll be happy. So having said all that, I, I do think we can safely say that the best way for a leader like myself to cast vision for people is not to share my hopes and dreams and visions and goals, but to simply preach God's word. And I think a pastor who consistently and correctly explains and applies God's word provides what his people need most and what his church needs most to grow and to flourish. And so while I'm confident that simply preaching God's word is sufficient to keep us focused and to keep us motivated as a church, every so often I feel the need to recast the vision for our church in order to remind those of you who have been here for a long time, maybe from the very beginning, um, and also to bring the newer folks up to speed regarding the big picture of our church. And I think one of the keys of an effective church is that everyone involved keeps the big picture clearly in front of them at all times, 
And it's the job of the leadership to keep that big picture in front of those that they lead. And one of my roles and responsibilities as a pastor is to provide vision and direction for this church. And so when we talk about vision, we talk about direction, talk about big picture stuff, we're, we're actually talking about what's called um, in pastor circles a philosophy of ministry. I personally don't like that term, philosophy of ministry, because it sounds like something that we came up with. I like, I like to call it a theology of ministry, because uh, uh, really a theology of ministry is, is something that we discover and discern from the scriptures. It's not like we just get in a room and brainstorm and come up and say, oh, this is the kind of church we want to be. No, it's going to the Bible and say, what does the Bible say the church is supposed to be? And so it's a theology uh, of ministry, which is really just an explanation of, uh, of the non-negotiable essential elements or principles on which a church is based and by which a church functions or operates. It defines why we exist, it defines what we're seeking to achieve and how we should go about achieving that. Well, you need to know that at the beginning of the summer, end of May, beginning of June, the pastoral staff devoted some extra time, set up some extra meetings. We extended our normal staff meetings um, really to kind of all day on Tuesday um, so that we could pray, so that we could discuss, so that we could think through where we're at as a church and, and where we need to go. And uh, we, we found ourselves really clarifying and refining our theology of ministry. And you've heard me say this before, that COVID, I think, has provided every church the opportunity to reassess, if you will, all that they've ever done and why they do it, and if it's effective, it's not effective, and if you're ever going to have the opportunity to hit, or hit the big reset button on, on your church, the time is now. Some of you hit reset in where you went to church through this whole thing. Uh, I think we all sensed there was an opportunity for, uh, to, to change some things up and uh, to do things maybe differently, but to really evaluate. It just gave us all pause and time to think and evaluate where we were at and where we needed to be and where we wanted to go. And in our case, we also had the experience of a post-COVID surge in our attendance, which has created some, some fresh challenges in regards to accommodating and uh, assimilating all uh, all of you new folks into the life of our church, and, 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 and at the same time, I mean, you need to know, finding a, you know, making sure that you have a place to park, making sure you have a place to, to, to sit, making sure you have a place to plug in, that's the least of our concerns. Our main concern is that everyone who's climbing on board the ship, if you will, knows where we're headed and what role they play in helping us get there. And as we were talking and praying and brainstorming together as a pastoral staff, we all agreed that it, that it just kind of feels like a new chapter in the life of our church. And we just want to do a good job of communicating to this new generation who has recently joined us what our church is all about. And so we're grateful that because of the good hand of the Lord and the the, the faithful exposition and ap application of, of, of God's word. Uh, I think we have a, a strong biblical foundation 
that the Lord has established over the past 20 years. As Martin Luther responded to someone that was commending him for all that he had accomplished, he simply said, the word did it all. The word did it all. Don't, don't give me any credit. The word did it all. And I, and I think the word has done this all to establish a strong foundation on which we're standing today. And our desire is to build on that foundation by just recasting the vision, if you will, for this next season in the life of our church. And our goal in meeting together was to develop a strategic plan with specific actions and initiatives uh, that that best utilize our God-given resources. In other words, you, you're a God-given resource in the life of this church. You have gifts, you have uh, you have um, money, you have, we have facilities. We, we, the Lord has brought us together to accomplish something great. And so what, what is it going to take to bring that vision to fruition? Well, I hope it encourages you to know that we started by humbly seeking God in prayer. And we looked at some verses together on that first day we met uh, for this purpose. And we looked at Nehemiah uh, chapter 1 and 2 where Nehemiah heard that the walls were broken down in Jerusalem and his heart sank and he had a burden to do something about it. But before he ever said anything to anyone, what did he do? He went before the Lord in prayer. And uh, before he ever asked permission to, uh, from his master, the king, right, to go and be a part of the solution, he prayed. And he just entrusted it to the Lord. Psalm 127.1 talks about unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in what? In vain. Proverbs chapter 3, 5 and 6. Hopefully this is a a verse, a passage that you uh, have uh, memorized and apply in your life on a regular basis. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways Acknowledge him and he will direct your path, direct your steps. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 3 says this Commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. In that same chapter, in verse 9, the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Amen? And then, of course, in James chapter 4, we're warned not to be arrogant. Come now, you say today or tomorrow, we're going to go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit, yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord, what, wills, we will do this or that. And so we began on our knees. We began on our face before the Lord and just saying, Lord, help us. Uh, This is your church. It's not our church. We just want to be in line with what you're doing here and where you want this church to go and what you want this church to be. So give us wisdom, give us direction, give us insight. And when we got done praying, we followed a three-step process, which I think allowed us to just bring our church into sharper focus. And we wanted to accomplish three things. We wanted to, to redefine, if you will, our mission. We wanted to come up with a, a vision statement which we've never had before in the life of our church. And then we wanted to come up with some action points. Um, What we're going to do about all this. 
And so really the mission was our purpose. You know, what are we doing? The vision is our pursuit. Where are we going? And then the action is our plan. How will we accomplish our mission and how will we achieve our vision? And so what I want to do today is just share with you what came out of that meeting or those meetings, I should say, multiple meetings, and, and show you how it all comes straight from the scriptures, that this wasn't something we just came up with, that we just wrote some stuff on a whiteboard and said, oh, that sounds good, let's do that. No, this is all rooted and grounded in the scriptures, in God's word. And so first of all, let's talk about the mission, the mission. Now, this was very easy since we've always had a clearly defined mission statement, uh, from, from day one, we've had this as our mission. And I think we have some slides here to accompany the things I'm going to be saying here. And so most of you, if you've been at our church for any number of years, you know this is our mission. Uh, you, you see it out on the, the wall when you come in, right, the foyer. Um, you see it on our website. If you ever go and check out our website, we try to put this. We used to, when we had a bulletin, remember that? We used to have a bulletin before we, we could like touch things and hand them out and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we used to have this in our bulletin so you'd see it every Sunday. We just wanted people to see this and be reminded of this on a regular basis. But this is our mission. We exist to glorify God by proclaiming and living the truth of his word so people come to know Jesus Christ and grow to be like him. That's our mission statement. And I think the best place to go in the Bible to discover God's mission or purpose for the church is what we call the Great Commission, right? Um, which is repeated in, in different words in all four of the Gospels, but the one we're most familiar with is Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, and you can turn there with me if you'd like. I know some of you have that memorized already. Jesus said in Matthew 28, verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. These were Jesus' famous last words to his disciples. This was their marching, or, marching orders, if you will, for their life, their ministry. And it really outlined the mission or the purpose of the church. It tells us what we are to do and how we're to do it. And I've pointed this out many times in the past, but for those who might be new, uh, you need to know that the main verb in this verse 19 is not go, it's make. Make disciples of all nations. That, that is what our main purpose, our main mission is, to make disciples, or another way to say that is to make other Christians. So what does that look like? How do you do that? Well, there's that, that main verb is supported by three participles, going, literally as you're going, Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, which implies people coming to faith in Christ. Uh, you've led people to Christ. And then it says, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded them in verse 20. That's another participle. In other words, going, baptizing, teaching all support the main verb of make disciples. So that's how you make disciples uh, is you lead them to Christ and then you help them grow in Christ. And so the church exists to evangelize the lost and to equip the saints. So evangelize sinners and equip the saints. So it's not just our responsibility to reach people for Christ, but also to teach them to obey Christ. As I heard one pastor say recently, I loved it. 
He said, our church exists to help people find and follow Jesus. That's all we're talking about. That's what Jesus was telling them. Hey, go find people that don't know me, right? Lead them to me and then disciple them. Help them grow. Um, Come alongside them and teach them what it means to be a follower of Christ. Now, the means by which God's Spirit saves and sanctifies people is hearing God's Word and seeing it lived out by God's people. Let me read for you some verses here because we're talking about here the proclaiming and the living the truth of His Word. We talked about so that people come to know Jesus Christ and go to be like Him. But how does that happen? By proclaiming and living the truth of His Word. Romans chapter 15, or excuse me, Romans chapter 10, uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ, right? So you need to hear the Word of Christ or the Word of God or hear the message about Jesus Christ in order to have faith in Him. Uh, James chapter 1, uh, verse 18 says, in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. In other words, he saved us by his word. First Peter makes it even clearer. First chapter 1, verse 23, for you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. And so we are saved through, by God's spirit, through his word. We're also sanctified by God's Spirit, through His Word. John 17, 17, Jesus said, He prayed this in His high priestly prayer, Father, sanctify them by Your truth. Your Word is truth. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, husbands, this is our section here about our role as husbands. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the what? The washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. We know that's what the word sanctify means, is to be set apart, to be holy, to be like Christ. And then I love what it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Paul is commending the church in Thessalonica, and he said, For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. In other words, this is what Martin Luther said. It's the word that does the work. I can't change you. You can't change you. Your spouse can't change you, even though they work really hard at it. Right? You can't change your kids. Right? You, it's, it's, the, it's the Spirit of God and the Word of God that accomplish that work. So God uses His Word to save people and sanctify them, but He also uses His people Matthew 5.16, what did Jesus say to his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount? Matthew 5.16, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Peter said 
something similar. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. And Paul, you remember, said, hey, whatever you've heard or seen or received from me, put it into practice. 2 Thessalonians, Paul was talking about the example that he has set for them to follow. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 7, for you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. He was talking about them growing in their relationship with Christ. Again, I'm just pointing out that, that it's, it's by the proclamation of his word, but it's also by the living it out that people see our lives and it piques their interest. And somehow God uses that. He says that they'll see your good works and they'll end up getting saved and they'll end up giving glory to you. Glory, excuse me, glory to God. Glory to me. And when that happens, when people are saved and people are sanctified, God is glorified, which is the overarching goal of the church, that we exist to what? Glorify God. Ephesians chapter 1, three times when Paul was describing God's plan of salvation, he said to the praise of his, what? Glory, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory. Remember when we were studying the book of Romans, this is how Paul climaxed the doctrinal section describing the doctrine of justification by faith alone. In other words, God's amazing radical plan of salvation. He says, for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever. Amen. In Ephesians, this is how Paul ends his prayer for the believers in Ephesus. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And then of course Philippians um, Chapter 2, verse 11, talking about every knee, every, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so that's our mission. Pretty simple. We exist to glorify God by proclaiming and living the truth of his word so people come to know Jesus Christ and grow to become like him. The next step is we wanted to come up with a vision statement and honestly, vision statements have always smacked of the corporate world to me, and that's why probably I've never even cared about them, never even thought about them. Let me just give an example of how a vision statement works. I'm sure most of you, if not all of you, have at one point uh, bought something from Amazon. And, uh, um, or maybe some of you guys are just protesting the whole thing. I don't know, but, um, but, it, but I, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm amazed by Amazon. I really am. How in the world can I order something, right, that seems really obscure, and the very next day it's on my doorstep? And if I don't like it, I can send it right back, and I don't, I don't even have to put it in a package. I just bring it over to the, to the UPS store and hand it to them, and they somehow get it back to Amazon. I don't know how they do it. It's amazing to me, but this is their, this is their vision statement, Amazon's vision statement. To be Earth's 
most customer-centric company where customers can find and discover anything they might want to buy online at the lowest possible prices, the best available selection, and the utmost convenience. I'm like, well, you know, they're, they're accomplishing that vision statement. <laughs> at least from my perspective, they are. Anyway, it was fun for us to, to come up with a vision statement based on the principles of God's word and the passions of our hearts. They say, well, what do you mean, the passions of your hearts? Well, I think you would agree with me that a church normally reflects the personalities and the passions of its leaders and tends to magnify their strengths and their weaknesses, good and bad, right? And so what we came up with, honestly, was a reflection of our personalities. I'm talking about our pastoral staff, the, the, the team that God is sovereignly providentially put together for such a time as this in the life of our church, that we have personalities, we have gifts, we have strengths, we have passions. And so we admit it's very subjective um, and could be improved on, it could be added to. Um, But this is what we asked ourselves. We asked ourselves who we are as a church, who do we want to be? Who, or, or more importantly, who does God want us to be? That's really the big issue. Not who do we want to be. Who does God want us to be? What do we want to look like as a church? What does God want us to look like as a church? What do we want to be known for uh, in the community, for example? Where do we want to be in a year from now, five years from now, ten years from now? And so, after lots of discussion and late night brainstorming and prayer and a thesaurus, coming up with creative words, right? Um, This is what we came up with. This is a vision statement. To be a church full of grateful, humble, gracious, spiritually mature followers of Christ. I mean, you could stop there, right? I mean, that just kind of summarizes what, to be a church full of grateful, humble, gracious, spiritually mature followers of Christ. Now, there's a lot of adjectives you could throw in there, right? We, we didn't include everything that came to our minds. I mean, there was other things like servant-hearted, kingdom-minded, committed. Right? We had a long list of words that, I mean, this thing could have been like all over the whole walls in here, okay, of words that we came up with. But we said, what is the essential things that we really care about? And that is that we want to be grateful people, in other words, we just come in awe. We're just so grateful to be here. How did we get here? We didn't deserve to be here, right? We didn't do anything. I mean, we are in awe. We're awestruck that God saved us. And so we're just grateful. We're not complainers. We're not critical, right? If you're not grateful, you tend to complain, right? You tend to be critical. But we're just, we're just grateful to be here. And, and we're humble. We're not arrogant, um, we're, we're, we're humble in how we think and how we talk and how we um, interact with one another. And, and we're gracious. In other words, we're not jerks. You know, we're not just, um, um, you know, like they talk about cage Calvinists, you know. You know, you put that guy in a cage, man. He needs to be like locked away somewhere, man. He needs to learn to relax a little bit, you know. It's like, hey, we're gracious that we, 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 we hold to the truth uncompromisingly, but we're gracious about it. That's something that, that I've always wanted as, ever since we started this church was that if anybody wanted to, to know what the Bible said about life and 
you name it, they would want to come to this church because they would know they would get God's word on it. But at the same time, they would also sense, man, they, they were, those are the nicest people I've ever met. And just the way they interact and they truly love and care for you, they're just gracious people, uh, even though they, they, they hold firmly and, and strongly and uncompromisingly to the scriptures. So we would be grateful, humble, gracious, spiritually mature. In other words, that's our goal, right, is to become mature believers we're going to talk about that a little bit in a second, about what does that look like practically, and followers of Christ, not just Christians in name only. Not, oh yeah, I prayed the prayer, signed the card, walked the aisle, right? Got dunked sometime in my past, and, but uh, if anyone actually knows me, watches my life, you would never know I'm a Christian. Right? We're talking about like serious, committed followers of Jesus Christ. You are all in. Or as our son said recently in a conversation we had, that it just got to the point where he realized, I just needed to send it for Jesus. And, that's, and I thought, well, that's kind of what Jesus said in, in, um, in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. If any man come after me, he must what? Deny himself. I'm forgetting something. Take up his cross daily and send it. Is that kind of what it says? He must deny himself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. In other words, send it. Send it, right? And that's an expression young people use these days. You just go for it. You jump off the cliff, right? Or whatever you're about to do that you're, like, just send it. And so that's the kind of Christians we want. Guys that are spiritually mature, and they just sent it for Jesus. They're just going for it. They're followers of Christ. Now, look at the next phrase. Who live in obedience to God's word and independence on God's spirit. And I like that right there because it's the heart and soul of our church that we are nothing without God's word and God's spirit. That those are the two divine instruments, tools that God has given us to accomplish his work. It's his word and his spirit. And without his word and his spirit, right, we're nothing. Nothing will ever happen of any consequence here. And so that's why we make such a big deal about God's word. And that's why we make such a big deal about God's spirit. Um, because we know it's the Spirit that accomplishes His work. And so we need to live in obedience to God's Word and in dependence on God's Spirit. Obviously, there's the prayer element there uh, underlying that, right? And are united... We just need to put the word united in there because we're big on unity, right? We, we, we're passionate about unity. God's passionate about unity. He, he blessed us with unity. He granted us unity in Christ, and he tells us to preserve it, to maintain it. So we are united in our passion. We want to be passionate, not apathetic, right? What are we passionate about? What are we united about? To lovingly pursue discipleship relationships with one another and to faithfully proclaim the gospel to everyone everywhere. So we're united, really, and passionate about two things, and that is, first of all, lovingly pursuing one another, that we are, we are getting involved in one another's lives, we're pursuing one another in love, caring for one another, ministering to one another, serving one another, and discipling one another, which discipleship, if, don't get hung up on that, it, it's simply this, it's, it's, it's helping one another become more like Jesus, that's all discipleship is. 
And it can take all sorts of different shapes and forms, and it could be formal, it could be informal. It's just helping one another become more like Jesus. So we're lovingly pursuing discipleship relationships. In other words, relationships that sharpen one another and help us be more conformed to the image of Christ. But at the same time, we're not just ingrown and we only care about what happens within the four walls of this church, but no, we're always thinking outwardly and also to faithfully proclaim the gospel to everyone everywhere. And that's across the street and around the world. That's in your school this week and that's in Afghanistan. That you're always thinking about local evangelism, if you will, and global evangelism. So what is this statement? Again, it's just an attempt to encapsulate our priorities, our passions as a leadership team, which we also think are God's priorities and passions. I hope you would agree with me. That sounds like something God would want every Christian to be, every church to be, wouldn't you? A a church full of those kind of people. I think God would be pleased by that. And so this is not just who we want to be as a leadership team, but who we believe God wants all of us to be. And so, for what it's worth, there it is. Again, lots of things you could add to that, but to make it short and succinct, that's what we came up with. We'll see if we can improve on it in the months and years to come. After we did that, you guys have heard me talk about or mention the gather, grow, go. That's something I came across several years ago, and it caught my attention. I thought, I really like that as a way to summarize what are we about as a church. And I spent the last several years just kind of testing that and is saying, is that, is that really an accurate expression or description of why we exist as a church? And as I've, I've done that, I've thought, yeah, I, I like that. I think it really works. That that's, that's why we are here. We're here first and foremost, right, to gather together. And we gather together like we're doing this morning, like we do on Wednesday nights, um, to worship the Lord and to hear his word, right? And then what is the, the grow? The grow is, that's why we're here. We want to grow to become more like Christ. We want to grow in our relationship with God. We want to grow in our love for God, our love for others, right? The great, um, the great commandment. And then it doesn't stop there, though. That's all the means to an end, and the, the, the end game is to go, right? And to, to leave here and, and share Christ with a lost and dying world. And so the, the gather, grow, go is really a, a tagline that we just wanted to own and, and, and just... Uh, and, and kind of make the, the mantra, if you will, of our church, just to simplify it. And so uh, I want to break this down just real quickly. Look at what we're talking about when we talk about gather. So when we gather together, what we're talking about is we gather to prize Christ. I mean, weren't we doing that when we were singing, Is He Worthy? We, we were prizing Christ. We were, we were extolling His worth. And uh, again, we were singing straight from the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 5. Is is anyone worthy to take the scroll? And then came 
Christ, the Lamb. And everyone sang this new song, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood. Men from every tribe, tongue, and people and nation, you have made them to be a kingdom of priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels and myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands. They were all saying, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing, and on and on it goes. So when worshipers gather in heaven... What are they doing? They're prizing Christ. They're extolling his worth and how worthy is the lamb who was slain. And so when we get, get together, that's what we're doing. We're, we're extolling his worth. We're treasuring Christ. Remember the story that Christ uh, told about the man who found the treasure in the field? What did he do? He sold everything so he could have that treasure. That's a picture of Christ. Paul talked about the surpassing value of knowing Christ, Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. And of course, there's all the Psalms talking about us, talking, uh, exhorting us to extol the Lord. And then why else do we gather? We gather not just to extol his worth, but also to, expo- go ahead and turn it back there, exposit his word. There you go, expositing his word. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 Again, this is all philosophy of ministry, all theology of ministry are coming straight from the scriptures. 2 Timothy chapter 3.16, all scriptures inspired by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all great patience and instruction. Jesus was a great example of expository preaching. Remember in Luke 24, it says, did not our hearts burn when he explained, when he was explaining the scriptures to us? That's what expository means. It simply simply means explanatory preaching. You get up, you read the Bible, you explain it, and you apply it, and you sit down. That's what we're doing when we gather together. We're we're explaining the scriptures and and helping you understand what they mean and how they apply to your, your lives when we gather. So there's the the, the gathering, the prizing Christ, extolling his worth, expositing his worth. How about grow? How about grow? When we talk about grow, we're talking about pursuing Christ. We're talking about pursuing Christ. And Philippians chapter 3, Paul says it so well. He says that I might know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained it or I've already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I also lay hold of, uh, which I was also laid hold of by Christ. Brethren, I don't regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul was passionately pursuing Christ. He wanted to be like Jesus. And so how does that happen? Well, it happens when you engage with his people, you engage with Christ's people. And again, there's so many verses about how the early church was engaged with one another, eating together, uh, fellowshipping together, taking communion together. We're told not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. We're supposed to bear one another's burdens 
Paul said he was like a mother. He was so involved, so connected with the people in Thessalonica. It was like he was like their mom and dad. 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 and 8. And then we know all the verses that talk about we're to exemplify his life, talking about Christ here. We're supposed to be like him, that God saved us to be conformed to the image of his son. That's what the church is all about, that we would be built up into the mature man. This is Ephesians chapter 4, 13, that we would grow in the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And then Colossians 1, 28, we proclaim Christ, admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. So we're pursuing Christ and, and that means you engage with his people and you build discipleship relationships and you help another become like Christ and ultimately you're exemplifying his life. You're becoming like Jesus. And then finally is go. And in this, this, this realm, we're talking about proclaiming Christ. That we come here to prize Christ and we, we, we get together in grow groups and for whatever else to, to pursue Christ and then we leave here to proclaim Christ. Existing as his ambassador and evangelizing his sheep. Again, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And then the evangelizing his sheep, I love what it says in John chapter 10. John chapter 10, this is Jesus talking about how he's the good shepherd. John chapter 10, I'm the good shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He goes on to say, I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will hear my voice and they will become one flock with one shepherd. In other words, Christ has sheep all over the world. People from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Some of them maybe live in your cul-de-sac and they just don't know it yet. And you get to go share the good news, share the gospel with them so that they can become part of Christ's flock. Go ahead and throw up that last one that'll probably be hard to read. Not expected you to read all that. But I wanted you to see how all of this is connected, that, that everything we do fits under one of these three headings. I mean, you could just put our Sunday morning gatherings, our Wednesday night gatherings, all of our ministries, you know, whether it's a membership class or a a baptism class or equipping hour or grow groups or men or women's ministries, our biblical counseling, um, you, you name it, our conferences, all of our student ministry, our kids' ministry, that's all for growing, helping people pursue Christ. And then everything we do locally um, for evangelism purposes, um, our outreach events, contact sports, LBC Invitational, Fest, Art of Marriage, um, our biblical counseling, and then, of course, we have our missionaries um, so it, pretty much we can take everything that we do in the life of this church and it fits under one of these three categories. But the most important thing is, notice how it all focuses on one person. Who is it? It's Christ. It's all about Christ. Why? Because this is his church. It's not my church, not the elder's church, not your church. This is Christ's church. So it's all about Christ. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Mine is not the only name 
under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. It's the name of Jesus. Amen? He's the one that shed his blood for this church. The church which he purchased with his own blood. Acts 20, 28. He's the foundation. He's the cornerstone. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. And, and ultimately, he's everything. Colossians 1, 16, excuse me, 1, 18. He is also the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Amen? So I'm hoping this schematic here gives him first place. He's the one that's exalted. He's the one that the focus is on. Amen? So that was our mission. That was our vision. And hopefully you're going to start seeing some of this stuff uh, more visually around just to kind of keep us focused on that. We're still in the process of meeting, and that's the third thing was the action dividing up all of our ministries and the different needs and we're still in the process of discussing these things and um, figuring out who needs to do what and how we can improve on these things and then disseminate that information to the elders and the deacons and to you guys as members of the church. But just very quickly, um, two things I wanted to share with you guys. Um, Really, the way we've been thinking through this is short-term, mid-term, and long-term. So we're just kind of planning for the future of our church praying about the future of our church. In the short term, we really just needed to come up with some space solutions. And that, that, those, are, those are good problems to have, some growing pains, right? And uh, believe it or not, our middle school ministry, our next level ministry, has grown out of their room. Praise God, isn't that great? We can't fit any more little middle schoolers in there. And so we had to think, what are we going to do? Well, let's move them. Let's move them somewhere else. Well, well, that affects somebody else, and then that affects somebody else, and right, it's like a domino effect. And so we're trying to do some things, move some ministries around on Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, and, and we'll um, keep you abreast of that. You'll be maybe feeling some of that and maybe not liking that at first. Like, hey, how come I can't meet in here anymore? Well, because somebody else needed to meet in here because they had more people. And by, by, So we're trying to move some ministries around, um, and uh, hopefully that'll help a little bit, relieve some of the, the pressure there. Um, also, we've been talking and praying about really for years um, adding uh, some, some new parking. And uh, this has been something that's been on our heart literally probably five years, ever since we got into this building. And it just has never seemed like a right time. We've never had the green light from God, if you will, as we've prayed and talked and, and uh, talked as, as leadership. Um, and then recently, uh, with the combination of our parking needs, but also the really the, the, the uh, sports ministry just really exploding and the soccer ministry on Monday nights just has a ton of people coming to this thing over in April Sound. We're thinking, why can't we get that over here at our church and make an even a bigger impact in our community? And they associate that soccer ministry with our church. And, um, and so, and we've got this area out here in the back that's just kind of there. And if you've ever seen the students try to use that on Wednesday nights, they're kind of running like this in whatever game they're playing because it's just we've never developed that side of the property. And, and uh, so um, it, it works good if you do that bat spin one where they're already going like this anyway, right? You've seen the bat spin. Um, but anyway, so we uh, have some really um, gifted guys as deacons, one of them, John Payne, and uh, he has come up with a plan. Uh, uh, to develop that area over there 
which would include parking, another 40 spaces, parking lot, paved parking, um, look like this parking out here, uh, and then develop a beautiful um, a manicured soccer field with lights and a fence around it, and then make the rest of the recreation area, recreation area, expand our patio out there, maybe get a covering over it at some point. But just to kind of develop that backside of our property and just make it a, a great space, uh, not just for, um, you know, our enjoyment and our activities and things. You guys know that cook trailer gets used a lot more than it's ever been used and, and out there. So some, you know, events for us, but also to reach our community, to provide a place for us to bring people in the community. And so we're super excited about that. And this week, the elders unanimously approved those plans um, and those costs for that project. John presented it to us on, on, uh, on Wednesday, and, and we just, we just kind of looked at each other and what we had been laboring over for years was like that. It was like a that decision. It was like this is the right time and the right plan. And, uh, and so it's going to cost roughly $260,000, $270,000. If you watch our finances, by the grace of God and because of your generous giving, we have close to $600,000 in the bank and our savings. And so we're going to use about half of that to develop that backside of the property. And we're super excited about it. Um, they're hoping that they'll be able to maybe finish it some, sometime before the end of the year. Not for sure, right? Those things usually take longer than normal or than you expect, I guess. But uh, we're super excited about that. And even having some people in our church who have the kind of uh, gifts and skills and construction companies that can help us do that. We're very grateful for guys that have jumped on board and want to help us do that. Um, midterm. We've been strategizing, do we need to go to two services at some point? Would that be helpful for a number of different reasons, um, just to kind of solve some of our space issues? So we're talking about that. We've, we've come up with some schematics with multiple scenarios. It's not our first choice. We would much rather prefer to stay in one building, one uh, worship service. We're doing everything we can to keep doing that, but it may come to the point uh, as we watch what happens this fall uh, in the life of our church that we're preparing and planning if we have to divide this up and have an early service and a late service and not what that would look like. And so just be praying about that. I know I already hear the groans uh, in the nose, right? Um, but hey, that's just something we may have to do um, uh, if the Lord continues to grow uh, his church. And then uh, long term, we really feel like it's time for us to um, get moving forward with our third phase, and for those of you that are new to our church, uh, when we originally bought this property, the Lord provided this property, and we had an architect and a site planner come out and, and really lay out a plan for the next 20 to 30 years, and uh, that plan, original plan, had three phases. The first phase was the first building we built. Uh, that lasted, a, uh, I, I guess, maybe 10 years, and then here we are now in the second phase. This was never... Uh, the end game, um, the end game, Lord willing, is down the hill over here, uh, which would be the worship center. And so this would be a true activity center where we could use it as an activity center and all the stacking and moving of chairs around and rolling in, uh, you know, uh, sound systems in and out and hoping and praying that balls don't take out one of our lights during the week and, you know, all that stuff that this is a multi-purpose facility and it's always been that way and we felt like that was the way to be lean and mean and just, you know, by the grace of God, we're debt-free and, and we just want to stay that way if we can. 
and just trust the Lord that if he wants us to go to third phase, uh, that we could be able to do that and maybe someday have an actual worship center where we could come and uh, it could be dedicated to that purpose of our gatherings and then free up these other spaces to do what they were intended to do as well. So it might simplify all of our lives a little bit, but we just want to make sure ultimately we glorify the Lord. So that's what we're thinking about, that maybe this fall we need to um, get another, hire another site planner slash architect to start thinking about what third phase would look like, and uh, we're due, because it's, uh, we're getting about to that time where uh, we probably should uh, pull the trigger on, on moving in that direction. So anyway, please pray that God would just continue to give us wisdom and direction as we strategize for the future growth and development of our church. And that um, he would provide in his way and in his time through his people for his glory. Amen? And he's done that for all these years and we're confident he's going to keep doing that as long as we stay faithful to him. And in the meantime, there's no better way to get plugged in to being a grow group. So how's that for a transition, right? Grow group leaders, come on up. Come on up, Grow Group Leaders, stand behind your little clipboard here, and as you depart today, if you didn't sign up last week for a Grow Group, please come and sign up for a group. Again, you may want to check a few out. You may want to try this one for a couple weeks, try that one for a couple weeks, find the one that really fits well uh, for you, and so don't feel like you're locking yourself in for all eternity, because you're not, okay? Um, so let me pray, and uh, you guys can be dismissed. Father, thank you for this time we've been able to talk as a, as a body and just to, to remind ourselves of what you've called us to be and kind of where we're at as a church and where we need to go practically. So would you just continue to provide and for us and protect us, Lord? We don't want to get ahead of you and we don't want to lag behind you either. We want to just stay right in step with your spirit. So uh, please guide and direct us. Um, I pray that in the whole process as we move forward that you would provide unity uh, for this body and uh, that we would uh, value that um, and, 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 and fight for that, um, Lord, to maintain that. And I pray that you would guide and direct each of these members now as they uh, think about where they could be best served, what grow group would minister to them most and work out for their schedules best. So I pray for this whole sign-up process that you would just get us all situated where you want us so that we can build those discipleship, those loving discipleship relationships um, with one more like Jesus, we pray this in his name. Amen.